0: just occurred to me something I need to ask a question. By the way, those of you just tuned in, you're listening to Islam Always. And we're broadcasting almost live from right here in Peoria. I can't say Peoria. Peoria, huh? What? I can't say Peoria. Well, slips don't count. And boys don't wear slips. You didn't know that. Anyhow, let me get back to what I'm trying to say. (laughs) We've been talking on the subject of evolution, creation, and now something new called ID, intelligent design. We discussed what religion is saying about this, some religions. We discussed what Islam says about it. We discussed what so-called scientists are saying. They said so-called, so I'm going to call them so-called scientists. I think that's fair. Turnabout's fair play. Uh, If they like that so-called term, then they must enjoy being called so-called scientists. Now, having said that, I would like to take the opportunity to open the floor for some uh, discussion. If somebody has something they want to say, or if they would like to ask a question, we're going to do that right now. Yeah, I
1: was hoping you could uh, clarify sort of a a contradiction or I guess a difference of opinion. You mentioned that. um, Oh, thanks. Thanks. There's a difference between the kursi and the uh, and the or the throne and the kursi. They're they're two different things. Like one was like so big, it's like throwing a ring out on the desert. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. When I read the Tafsir of Yusuf Ali, he said this is all symbolic, and basically he does not make the distinction between kursi and throne. And basically, the throne or the kursi. It's symbolic for knowledge, authority. So it seems to be a little bit different from the explanation you gave. So which one do we follow?
0: Uh, well, never follow me. That's rule number one. Because I'm not a prophet. And I didn't bring this from me anyway. What I read to you or quoted to you is from what the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said. I quoted a hadith from the Prophet Sallallahu now, Yusuf Ali, is is, is is he a prophet? No. Does he have a new dean that we didn't know about? And let me tell you where this is. Literally, the word kursi is a footstool or chair, sometimes wrongly translated as throne. The kursi mentioned in this verse should be distinguished from the arsh mentioned in Al-Araf, verse 58, um, chapter 10, verse 3. 85 verse 15 and elsewhere The Prophet Muhammad ﷺ said The kursi compared to the arsh Is nothing except like a ring thrown Upon the surface of the desert If the kursi extends over the entire universe Then how much greater is the arsh Indeed Allah the creator of both the kursi and the arsh Is the most great And this is the fatwa of Ibn Taymiyyah Volume 5 Page 54 and 55 And Ibn Taymiyyah said To believe in the kursi And to believe in the arse And it's narrated from Muhammad Ibn Abdullah From other religious scholars That the kursi is in front of the arse And it is at the level of the feet Narrated Next one Abu anhu, That the Rasul Sallallahu said Wasallam Ordered me To regard the zakat The revenue of Ramadan. And he talks now about the value of reading Ad to kursi To keep the shaytan away. All of this is in the book of Ibn Taymiyyah's tafsir. Now with regard to Yusuf Ali. Yusuf Ali in his own work. I don't know which one you have. But he clearly states in there. That he's not a scholar of Islam. He's a scholar of Greek and Roman history. And mythology. And he made his... equations based on his PhD or or degree that he has in those areas. Not a scholar of Islam. Not a scholar of Hadith. Not a scholar of the Arabic language. To translate from Arabic to any other language is something that people take for granted. That if you said, for instance, the word bait means house. So I'm a translator now. And I can say yom means day. But when you translate Quran or try to, you'll find that you cannot do it. It's impossible. If you don't mind to look in chapter thirty, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 34, in the book you're holding in your hand, you might also find another amazing thing. Could I see it just for one second? The Muslims consider, this is a good subject, not our subject for tonight, but certainly it's, it's worth it to mention. We Muslims consider The Quran by Yusuf Ali to be about on a par with the King James Version of the Bible. Which means what? (laughs) We don't hold it as any kind of authority because it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't translate that way. I want to go to An-Nisa, the chapter of the women. I want to look at verse 34 in this particular. There are different versions of Yusuf Ali. I think they're trying to catch up with the Bible and all the versions they have. But for sure, the only way to read the Quran is in the Lagu Arabiya. That is the only way to have understanding. Allah knows best. Now, Oh my God, this is another one. Uh, in one of the Yusuf Ali translations, it, it says here that when there, when you see disloyalty or ill conduct on the part of the women, admonish them, refused to share their beds, and scourge them. Scourge is to beat somebody to the level of ripping their skin off. This particular one says, spank them. Do you know what that's a translation of? What word? Wadribuhuna. daraba, daraba. And if you'd like a reference for that, I'll share with you that you can go to Surah 14 uh, Ibrahim and it says What does that mean? Have you not thought about how Allah daraba you and then it says which means a, a good saying or a good tree Now, I want to know which one did Allah hit you with or spank you with, the tree or the word. And in fact, it doesn't mean that. It means to cause somebody to reflect on what's being presented. And so this much better fits the description here of you admonish them or tell them see, and then you leave their beds, meaning this is a period of time. And then finally make it real clear to them. But... If you said beat him up, that's kind of tough because that's the same verse that starts out by saying you're the one to protect her. You're not a very good protector if you're out there beating her up. And it's in the same verse. So based on that, I'm going to tell you that I never accept anything in English unless I already know that's the equivalent from the tafsir in the Arabic. And I don't know a lot of that, so I go to the scholars and sit with them. But I'm not satisfied with just going to Egypt, which most of the scholars that I met in the beginning, a a lot of them are from Egypt. But I also go to Saudi Arabia. But I'm not satisfied there either. And I want to go to Maghrib because they have the oldest university. I know you think that Cairo's got Al-Azhar. Well, they got a real old, old, old one in Fez. And I went there. And for sure, they got knowledgeable people there. And then I'd go to Pakistan because I have some of my best teachers in Pakistan. And when I get all through, I always get a consensus because the good scholars don't have different opinions. Not really. The small thing, can I put my hands here or here? Okay, I'm glad you showed up for Salat. I don't care where you put your hands. I'm glad where you put your feet. Right here in the mosque when you prayed. You know, and that's what the real scholar said the same thing. Don't get into that. So, when we talk about the Quran, the Quran is really, really clear in Arabic. But there are some verses of the Quran that Allah speaks about. And I'm not going to read it from Yusuf Ali's. I'm going to tell you what I got from... These are scholars who did the one I'm holding my hand. They said in the beginning, this is not a translation because you can't translate it. But they translated the tafsir of the Quran. And that's what I'm reading to you now. In regard to Al-Imran verse 6, is it 6, 7. It says, He is the one who sent down to you, Muhammad, the book. That means this Quran. In it are verses that are entirely clear. And they're the foundations of the book. And that's where we get the Farida from. What's the what's the hudud? the punishment, etc. And other verses not entirely clear. So as for those in whose hearts there's deviation from truth. They follow that which is not entirely clear. Seeking to make fitna, which is trials and polytheism. Taking people away from Islam. And seeking for hidden meanings, but nobody knows the meanings, these hidden meanings, except Allah. But those who are firmly grounded in knowledge say, We believe in the whole of it, the clear and unclear verses are from our Lord. None receive admonition except men of understanding. That's pretty clear. And seeking for hidden meanings, but none knows hidden meanings except Allah. So, when you see something, for instance, in Surah An-Nur, when it talks about Allah and it gives the analogy of Allah's light is like a a, a a light on the oil when you light that candle or the oil and it's in a niche within a thing in a so in a light and it reflects upon light upon light, Nur il Nur is what it describes. But if you try to give that a meaning. And said, Oh, well, Allah is not very big because He compared it to the candlelight. Or He's huge compared uh, It's wrong because that's not what the verse says. And if you said, Well, I got a hidden meaning out of it, okay, well, have a nice day. (laughs) That's what I'll do. Yes, brother, please continue. uh, 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 I'm not right, the Quran is. Uh, That
1: when Mm -hmm. Prophet Muhammad gave a tafsir of the ayah, it would be foolish to ignore that and accept the opinions of someone else. But I just want to... And and I agree with that. But I just would like to... And I'm sure you're aware of this. I mean, I guess that was an error, but that error appears on virtually every page of Yusuf Ali's Taseer. This stuff is symbolic. They're They're not the Jews and the Christians. They're just people who behave badly and kind of are angry or something like that. Okay. You know... But I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Muslims, at least our elders here, this was our 30th, was the Yusuf Ali Tafsir of the Quran, and pretty much, if we were to accept your view, which I think is correct,
0: pretty much what we've been learning for the last 20 years was, was inaccurate information. Hey, check this out. How about what I was learning for 48 years before I found Islam? <laughs> Duh. I thought God was three in one wrapped up in the same package alhamdulillah Allah guided us always say alhamdulillah when you get some guidance man but I would like to refer to what you said about that that's also in authentic hadith that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa was asked by his sahabi who are the magdubi alaihim? who are the ones that have Allah's anger on them and he said al-yahud and they said then does that mean that the dalala the dalin are the Christians and he said who else that's one hadith. The other one just gave him the whole thing the same way. But now I want to share with you something. I want you to think about this. This is reality. This is what we saw on TV after 9-11. And think, what does it mean? We won't, we won't talk about what something means here 1,400 years ago just yet. We'll come back to it. In reality of what just happened, 9-11, a journalist wants to make a nice show. I don't blame them. That's how they get paid. They brought a priest from the Catholic Church, and they bought a rabbi from the Jewish temple, the synagogue. And they asked him about 9-11. So many people killed. So many people died. And horrible thing, these buildings falling down. And, of course, they showed it again. Give them another chance to show the same footage over and over and over. These two buildings going down. Smoke going everywhere. People dying, screaming, and, you know, all that. And they said, so... Is there really a God? And both of them are going, yes. Well, is God good? I mean, how does something like this happen? And then they focus on the Catholic priest. And they said, what about God? Is He good? He said, God is love. Okay. Yeah, we got that. You know, Baptists do that too. Said, so uh, did God do this? He said, no, no, God is good. God would never do this. Okay. So the man asked him. Journalist asked him. Then who did do it? It did happen. He said the devil did it. Well, for the Muslim, that's like... (laughs) That's stupid. Because we don't have this idea that the devil is having all these powers and that he's controlling a part of the universe and God's trying to knock him out. We don't have this Darth vader star wars concept of the good force and the bad force and we don't have that there's only one force there's no might or power glory majesty anywhere anytime any place except allah there's not two this is not like the yin and the yang of the taoists you ever see that black thing looks kind of like a teardrop and a white teardrop hooking into each other that's the symbolism for the duality of god and by the way i've seen some muslims wearing that in rings and necklaces not knowing what it is you really need to be careful with stuff like that i don't think a is going to be too happy about it now when we as muslims look at a subject like this then we have the responsibility to realize that Allah didn't leave us without a guide. He sent this message through the most trustworthy source, which is Muhammad Sallallahu And if Muhammad starts to go out on his own and say anything that Allah is not happy with, he tells him straight up in the Quran, read Surah 66, Surah at Tahrim, and he's really clear on this. Allah speaks harshly at him. And said, who are you to make haram something? I didn't make haram. The halal and haram, Allah wants that for himself. You stay out of that area. And he was tough on him. And then once when Prophet Muhammad sallam was talking to some non-Muslims and he, trying to get them to come to Islam and explain it to them, you know what happened? A blind man came up to him. It was already a Muslim. And I want to ask him a question. Prophet Muhammad sallam turned away from him frowning because he didn't like to be distracted from giving dawah to these people. But that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse Yes? Is that how it is? He frowned and he turned away from the blind man. And then Allah chewed him out again and said, How do you know that this man couldn't take some benefit? From you. And who are these guys talking about uh, these people that he's trying to give the, the, the dawah to? They're not Muslim. This is the Muslim. Take care of him. And also in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa about the subject of giving dawah in general. And that we were going to talk about dawah, so I'll bring it up now. And that is that you give the message and then you're done. Don't think you're going to stand there and guide the people. Because you won't. Because Allah said it real clear: You don't guide who you love, but Allah guides who He wills. Deliver the message. Move on. Deliver the message. Move on. Our problem is we're not even delivering the message. The message is straight up: La ilaha illallah. There's none to worship except Allah. I want to come back though and talk about a little bit more about translations. Even the one that I'm holding right here. I don't like the fact that they brought up the Hadith in the translation because you could give it out to a person who is not ready for that yet. But the fact that they said it in there, I shouldn't say, well, I don't like that. I just didn't like their choice of putting it there because when I'm trying to tell somebody about Islam, how about if I start out right away saying, oh, look, in the very first verses we have, you're going to hell. Oh, well, thanks a lot, you know. That's not, it's not the best way to win friends and influence people. And I agree with that approach. Because the Prophet Sallallahu in his dawah didn't walk up to Christians and just tell them straight up, hey, you're a baby. He didn't, and he also didn't walk up to the Jews and say, hey, Allah hates your guts. Instead, he brought the message. So I, I do understand where you're coming from with that and where some of the critics of this particular translation are coming from. At the same time, though, if you want to know something, Allah can guide people in the strangest way. It might be that the thing that we just talked about would be the very thing that somebody would pick up one day and say, you know what, I'm fed up being told this and told that. I feel like I'm lost and the preachers are more lost than I am. And I've heard so many times in church... The expression, the blind leading the blind. I've heard that over and over and over since I was a little guy. Allah gives that same type of parable in the Quran. Is a person who's not guided equal to the one that's guided? Is the sighted person going to be equal to the one who is blind? And of course not. You know, it's a rhetorical question. You don't have to try to answer it. Is up equal to down? You don't have to answer that. We already understand it. So, when we start talking about translations of the Quran, I'm going to tell you it doesn't translate. There's no way. The best thing is learn the Arabiya. When you learn the Arabic language, then after learning Arabic, read the Quran in Arabic, memorize the Quran in Arabic, then go to the Tafsir in Arabic by Ibn Taymiyyah, or actually his student, which is Ibn Kathir. He has the most famous of all of them. Tabari. Al-Qurtubi. And these are people who studied the Hadith over and over. But you can go back further than that. You can go back to the Sahih Bukhari, the collection of Imam Bukhari, who was very critical to the extent that he would not accept a Hadith from somebody. He even questioned their, their ideas. Let me give you an example of Imam Bukhari, how tough he is. He wants to know where does the Hadith come from. And he follows this Hadith. Oh, you got to go here? All right. He goes to somebody else, to somebody else. He winds up traveling about a month or so. I don't know how many months he traveled. Just to verify, did this Hadith come from you? And when he goes to the man, he finds the man trying to call his animals up with an empty bucket. Making noise on an empty bucket to get the animals to come to him. Imam Bukhari said to the man, excuse me, You don't have anything in a bucket," he said. "The animals don't know that, so he just went back. He didn't bother to talk to him about the hadith. Why? Because if you fool the animals, you might fool the people. There's no sense me taking a chance on it. So that's pretty tough criterion to work up against. Imam Bukhari was tough, taking several hundred thousand hadith, analyzing them, taking them apart. And saying that for sure these were okay with He didn't say all the rest of them are no good. I won't say that. But these that he's accepting, a <laughs> pretty good deal. One of his students there in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. And one of his students, which is Imam Muslim, was even tougher. He learned from him. Studied with him. He also studied with other scholars and then came back to him before he died. And... His work has a lot of the same ones But he didn't copy them from his imam What makes it interesting is he followed the same way of the imam And went back and traced them the same way This is very interesting to know that He didn't just take them from his teacher When they have the same hadith in Bukhari that they have in Imam Muslim All of these have been collected together When they're in both places and it's in a special collection called Alutlu John, which means the pearls in the coral. If you ever get a chance, we have this one uh, on our uh, program, TV program, we broadcast on the internet. And sometimes we run that from time to time. So. Uh, I, I encourage everybody to pay attention to these hadith because they explain, especially the section about the Quran, talking about the Quran, and that's volume, I think you'll find a lot of that in volume uh, 6, I think is where I found a lot of that, giving the an explanation. And I'm talking about the English translations in nine volumes, and in volume 6 of that you'll find a, a lot there. You, you, you can take a lot of benefit from it. And Zuckalak here for a great question and your comments, Zuckalak, brother. What's your name? Neither. I like your name, man. Cool. Anybody else have a question? It says here, how do you make a bomb? What? Oh no, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. It said, what is Islam's ruling on suicide bombing? Well, without even thinking, I can tell you that it's, it's very, very terminal. Basically, after you do it, there's no reason to discuss it. <laughs> but suicide, okay, first of all, let's take the word suicide. Is it permitted in Islam to commit suicide? Ever? Never. So that word... Automatically cancels out the whole statement. Somebody commits suicide. That's it. If you just said, what's the ruling on bombing? Which is a better question. It's also forbidden to kill people in Islam. Except in the case where it's been ordered by a law. It's absolutely forbidden to kill people. It is except when it's ordered by Allah. Next, it's also forbidden for Muslims on any subject to take the law into their own hands. It's never permissible for you or I to suddenly decide, well, I'm just going to do this or I'm going to do that. Here in the West, if you're in your home, in your home, Sleep in the bed or in some part of your house. Somebody breaks in and they start robbing your house. If you shoot that person and kill them, there is nobody to testify against you, is there? You killed them. All you got to do is say, this guy came at me, scared me, I thought he had a gun and I shot him and what will happen to you? Nothing. According to Islamic law though That's wrong He broke in That's wrong He shouldn't have broke in But you don't have the right to kill him Unless he does try to kill you Or something like that Of course you can defend yourself But just cause he's stealing Doesn't give you the right to kill him It isn't permissible There are some other examples that I could give you like that because this is not our subject tonight. I'll just touch on this. That when people take the law into their own hands, that's not considered being in Islam anymore. Especially when you go to the level of killing male people. It can be an act of disbelief. That's how critical it is. And I've had some wannabe, not real scholars, wannabe scholars. They memorized the Quran. So everybody considered them scholars. Memorizing the Quran doesn't make you a scholar. It does not. There are a lot of people who memorize the Quran today that cannot give you the tafsir of a single ayah. So that in itself doesn't make them a scholar. It makes them a qari, a reciter. It makes them a hafiz, a preserver. But it doesn't make them an alim, a knowledgeable person. From the knowledgeable people I heard from all of them The same exact thing Over and over and over No Muslim has the right To take the law into his own hands And just suddenly declare A war against this A war against that But every Muslim Has the right and obligation To defend his property The Quran does not give us This kind of permission To do these things It doesn't and I know that there are, like I said, wannabes, want to make a name for themselves, going around telling the youth this and that and the other, and getting people all upset. But one of the things that Allah is very, very clear on this subject: this is not an option. Allah tells us that He is the one who created us and what we do. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala makes it clear to us that this life is a test, and what does He want from us more than anything else? In this test that we go through. Does he want us to give in to violence? Does he like us uh, to get angry? Or does he insist on we do what? Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Which? And if you read the Quran, you already know the answer. And there's no Hadith giving you the permission to take the law into your own hands. Everything that comes in the form of Kital or combat I translated this word Kital as combat It means fight But it also means death At the same time Because you can order somebody To kill somebody With the same word Kital So it's better to use The word combat So when there's combat Military combat In Islam It has to come From an order And there are orders In the Quran When that's the correct thing to do It's very clear and we have several programs on the subject of this word, kitāl. We also have one on the other word I mentioned, daraba. We have a program on that one. It goes into detail, detail of the different meanings of that word and how it could be used and how it should be understood in that ayah, the context. I'll ask Allah, forgive me for too long of an answer on that. I think we have another question coming up. Inshallah, let's have it.
2: Uh, I have a question pertaining to our original topic about the da'wah. Is the da'wah considered the farta'een or farta'kefa'een?
0: This question is, uh, needs to explain in English. So the listeners will know what you mean. Okay. He's asking... Oh, go ahead. He's asking is the invitation to Islam, the propagation of Islam and invitation something that's an obligation on every single Muslim or just on Muslims in general to the extent that at least somebody is out doing the job. And both are true. There is an invitation to Islam that every Muslim has to give himself and to his relatives and those close to him or her. And at the same time though there is a bigger kind of dawah which is when Muslims go out to propagate or defend Islam and, and jihad is also called a form of dawah. This is... Fardal which means that as long as somebody's doing it, then those who are not able to do so are not responsible. Then they won't be asked about it on the day of judgment. Does that make sense? I think we have another question over here. alaykum. Wa alaikum salam, brother.
1: Actually, the question uh, my wife asked me when we were driving and. Uh, uh, you, one of your cast, CD, I, it was playing in my cassette, the topic was omens in Islam. So you were explaining about the uh, fair treatment from Allah towards omen. And you were explaining the uh, ayah of Surah Nisa, where you explained that three stages, how to, when, I mean, first, uh, if the wife is not obedient, then first admonish her, then stay away from bay and then Last one is big. So she was asking that, what will be the treatment if the husband is do the same thing?
0: Okay. First of all, I want to thank you for giving me a free plug and advertising for my CD about women in Islam. Second, (laughs) second is, since that was done, that's a very old CD, and I was quoting uh, from Jamal Bedawi. Okay, when he explained this to the stages of divorce. But since then, I sat with some of the ulama from his country in al-Azhar, also from some of the brothers uh, of Ulama in Saudi and other countries, and they said that's not the best way to explain it. And they explained that the word beat doesn't fit this description, so that's why we made a big effort this year to come out with a new version of this. Because to say to beat them, doesn't uh, work because the Prophet ﷺ never did that himself. In fact, he ordered his companions not to do that. So, this is a mistake from me. Okay? Based on what I had learned at that point from who I got it from. And I told you where I got it from. So, that, you can't use that. You cannot use that. To say beat, although daraba can be Beat. It may mean this meeting. daraba can be walking the way you strike the ground when you walk. That was the first thing that several of the ulama told me, which shocked me. They stood up in, in one it was in New York and another one in another country and they did that. They just started walking right away. said, daraba is this. And I went, what? You walk on her back? This is this like she's a, you're a chiropractor or what's going on with this? And they said no because it's such a wide meaning. It can mean so many different things but the general usage of the word daraba is hit. Hit. But the word hit in English is also real wide. In fact, how does this hit you? Suppose I said, how does this hit you? Huh? I used it. And that's exactly alam Terra kaifa didn't you think about how Allah Gave you or hit you with a similitude Huh? So that I want to clarify that I want to make this real real clear I'm trying to get myself off the hook with Allah Because I don't like making mistakes Although I will tell you that there's so many of these English translations That all said that except one only one gave the right meaning. And it's only recent. And we're working now to get the latest ones in Saudi to come out with that. And they want to do it. The, the, nobody wants to put that in there because it gets all the governments mad at them. They don't like that. Nobody wants to go beat their wife. But now I want to come back to your subject. Regardless of what is the meaning of darba It says in the Quran on the part of those women that you observe nushuzah. And Nujuzah means in Arabic something that is out of place. Wrong. It doesn't belong. This is not right. To the extent that the comparison is that you're looking across a plain or a desert and then there's this monolith or a great big thing sticking up that doesn't belong there. That was the the explanation given to me by a scholar of the Arabic language, classical Arabic. So understand that when they do this, And it's used here to mean when they're doing something evil or something where they're breaking the sexual code of Islam, things like this. Then in this case, admonish her, leave her bed, وَضُرِبَهُونَ And actually it says in very clear, in one of the meanings of translation, that this actually means to go back and have sex with her. Because the next part of it says And if they return back to the right way Then don't do anything against them Okay Because it takes it from another From the Arabic language Which daraba also means And it used it in example When the male camel covers the female camel To have sex it's In the ancient Arabic language And Allah knows best I want to know though At uh, What if a man did something? What is a woman's right? Allah specifically in this verse made it clear that the man has certain rules on him and the woman has rules on her. Man, all mankind, not just you and me, all man, because it doesn't say believers. It doesn't say Muslims. It says men are responsible for women. 100%. For their security and provision... Because Allah put one in a better position to get out there and get it. So your job is to go get a job, to go out and be the breadwinner, to work and bring stuff home for her. And she gets to keep whatever comes her way. You don't. If she inherits gold, silver, diamonds, jewels, or property, real estate, whatever, that's hers. If you inherit it, you have to spend yours on her. On your sisters, on your mother, on your daughters. Because that's your job. She doesn't have to spend the time. Because of this, and now I'm going to go back to the verse. It says, because of this, the woman is devoutly obedient to Allah. Because Allah is the one who made that rule. And she's obedient to her husband. It says she's devoutly obedient. And the implication is to these two. To Allah, because He's the one who makes that way. And to her husband for doing that for her. If a woman takes a job, goes to work, makes money, she keeps all that she makes. No percentage of what she makes is necessary to go to the household upkeep but she wants to do it. It's her choice. But she gets reward with Allah for everything she donates, like charity or sadaqa. Now, I'll come back to what can a woman do, though, if the husband is doing something. Because it's not fair to leave that hanging. That's what your wife wants to know. What are my rights? If the husband is doing such that she doesn't like, she has the right in the very next ayah, if there's a problem between you, She can call for arbitration and arbitration is to bring somebody from your family and somebody from her family that both of you are going to respect and listen to. These people sit down with you guys and they discuss the matter until you reach a conclusion and then you all agree to accept that and you stop the fight and you get back together and work it out. That's the next verse, number 35 in Sur An-Nisa. That is the solution. What if... Even after the arbitration, the man continues to be bad or do whatever he did, blah, blah, blah. What's her rights? She can go for arbitration again or she can go to the imam and get a divorce. And nobody can stop a woman from getting a divorce. Some people think that a woman has a hard time getting divorced. Actually, the man has to go through three stages. He cannot say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, because in al buluga Maram, which I just referred to, It clearly states in one of the hadith. in there, the Prophet ﷺ heard of a man who came and they they said, this guy said to his wife, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and then that's it. He wants to know is his divorce final. Prophet ﷺ said, yes, and he's not from us. The divorce is final because that's what he wanted. But that's not the way we do it. So if you want to get divorced and walk out the door, you can do it on one shot. Boom. But then that doesn't make you following Islam. But for the woman, she doesn't have to do that. In fact, if a woman's intimidated by her husband and afraid of him and scared, she doesn't have to tell him anything. She can just go to the imam and say, listen, I'm scared of this guy. I don't want to be married to him anymore. I want out. O-U-T. If the imam can't convince her to do arbitration again, he's got to give her the divorce. And I have seen that happen. Close up. I understand how that works. And All the arguing and the discussion in the world won't change her mind. Then leave her alone and let her go. It's her decision. She has the rights. She has the right. She didn't say, I want to go out of Islam. She said, I want to go out of this guy's house. It's not your right to stand in her way. However, an imam who's thinking will consider, if she's in her time of the month, let it rest a little bit tell her to come back okay you can stay with these ladies here and come back because she might really have a pain in her head that'll go away but if she insists on it it's her right and it happened this time of rasul salai salam when Zainab, i believe it was came and she said she didn't want to be married to uh Zed. yes and yes and uh Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told him, no, no, told him, go back, work it out, don't, you know. But then Allah is saying in the Quran, no, this is not the way. They don't want to be married, they don't have to be. That's it. And she didn't want to be. So, we don't have that right to do such things as that. Next question is, Actually it's a comment, uh, you can uh, to uh, what you just said, it's in Surah al as well, Ayah number 128. Okay. If the man is the one who's causing the trouble, what does the woman say? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started it the same way that he started it for the man, Ayah number 128. Read it, you got it right there. But I don't have the English translation of the meaning. Oh, well give us the Arabic. وَإِنِ امْرَأَةٌ خَافَتْ مِن بَعْلِهَا نُشُوزًا أَوْ إعْرَاضًا فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِمَا أَن يُصْلِحَا بَيْنَهُمَا صُلْحًا
2: وَالصُّلْحُ خَيْرٌ وأحضرت الْأَنفُسُ
0: الشُّحَّ وَإِن تحسنوا وَتَتَّقُ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ لِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرًا وَلَا تَسْتَطِيعُونَ ta'dilu bayn al-nisa'i walau harashtum fala tamilu kull al-mayli fatadruha kalmu'allaqa wa in tuslihu wattaqoo fa inna Allah kana ghafurar rahima these two ayahs are in uh toward the end of surah an about 3 quarters of the way and the first one says in English, and if a woman fears cruelty or desertion on the part of her husband, then it's not itham. There's no sin on her. Or both of them, if they make terms of peace between themselves. Making peace is better. And human inner selves are swayed by greed. But if you do good and keep away from evil, verily Allah is ever acquainted with all that you do. Next verse. You will never be able to do perfect justice between wives, even if it is your strongest desire. So don't incline too much to one of them by giving her like more of your time or more provision. So as to leave the other one hanging, meaning she doesn't know if she's divorced or married. And if you do justice... And do all that is right And fear Allah By keeping away from all that is wrong Then Allah is ever Oft forgiving Most merciful This gives a good explanation When people start talking about Well you can have four wives But Allah is real clear on that subject Only if you can be Fair and just with them And in this verse Allah's saying That's highly unlikely Highly unlikely didn't say it's forbidden But it's not real practical And especially, by the way, today In non-Muslim countries I never recommend that anybody should do such a thing as that Because then you can't give her her rights The second wife doesn't get the same rights Does she get the same treatment as the full wife? No Social benefits? No Insurance or whatever you had at work? No she would not be first class citizen. She'd be second class or lower. What is she? According to the law of the land where you live. She's not a wife. So what is she? Concubine? Mistress? Girlfriend? Prostitute? I mean, none of those are acceptable terms to us as Muslims. And if you're going to have children with her, then where are their rights? Child said, this is my dad. Oh, so your mom and your dad, well, actually they're not married, but they're kind of married. We're Muslims and we do this flaky thing called, you know, uh, what is that? And that doesn't that doesn't represent fairness for them and it sure doesn't represent a good picture of Islam. If you live in Islamic State, which ended in 1922, but if you lived back then with a the Khalifa in in Muslim land, hey, if you think you can be fair with all of them, go for four sure by the way could you imagine trying to have four houses today you can't even pay for one four cars four wardrobes just the shoes alone would break me (laughs) Alhamdulillah you've been listening to Islam tomorrow and Islam yesterday and Islam always chat Islam we got a lot of websites out there by the way just go to Islam always you can find everything over there got any other questions Anything? I think we got one. Want to come to the microphone real quick over here? Take another question from our brother. What's your name, brother? Sadiq. 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 What does Sadiq mean? Tell us. Uh, I guess it's the truthful? No. No, it means the one who verifies the truth. Sadiq is not Sadiq. Sadiq is the title given to by Muhammad to Abu Bakr when Abu Bakr anhu confirmed everything that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says he confirms it and confirms it. Sadiq, sadiq Sadiq they became a Sadiq if anyone dies in a state without doing any jihad
2: he dies in a state of hypocrisy so does this refer to
0: We're, okay the, the hadith you're mentioning yeah. is is in what collection
2: uh, I read in this book Mashriya uh, Ashbaq the
0: hadith that you are mentioning is missing a little piece the yeah,
2: microphone yeah. the hadith as you mentioned is missing a little piece it says whoever didn't perform jihad or his self didn't talk to him to go into jihad ok so a person might die without performing jihad but at least if he didn't never had the desire then he is in a state of nifaq.
0: yes the word nifaq, by the way, for the, our listeners that are not familiar with Arabic, this means hypocrisy. A hypocrite and a hypocrite is like one of the worst things that you can be in Islam. There are degrees of nifaq and different conditions of nifaq, and the Prophet ﷺ spoke about this subject. And I have a book that's called "The Thirty Signs of the Hypocrites," and I was doing that when one Ramadan, every day taking one one of these for one of the days. Until I realized as I was going through it I said, too much of what I'm saying here Sounds like me I'm going to change the subject And go to something else But for sure Anybody who doesn't want To do jihad Doesn't have any desire for jihad Is what you're talking about This means he doesn't really care About striving in the path of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala And I think you so could apply. No, this particularly talks about combat. combat. This can only be combat because nobody's going to try to give two meanings to this. In Islam, we don't play a game where, uh, you know, up can be down and down can be up, right can be left. We don't do that. When you hear Prophet Wasallam talking about jihad, jihad, sabilillah, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's not talking about building an airport or a library or a university and calling it jihad. And he's not talking about making it jihad on, a, on some kind of a, a hard question that you came up with the answer to. And he's not talking about jihad al akbar, jihad al nafs. He's clearly telling you that to get your butt up and go out here and pick up a weapon and fight for the sake of Allah. That's what he's saying. By, by the way, that was a Texas translation. <laughs> <laughs> so the
2: jihad al
0: Always Muslims know Our biggest war that we have every day Is on ourselves However The hadith That somebody refers to Saying Jihad al-Akbar Jihad al-Nafs Is not a real hadith It says the greatest jihad Is the one you do on yourself Although that may be true That is not a saying Attributed to Muhammad And should not be repeated as such Okay Jazakallah khair That was an excellent question Put me on the spot didn't he yeah, Could you guys make them a little bit easier? Uh, I
2: just uh, want to make a final statement, inshallah, before uh, we close up. I'd like to remind people of what Echo, Brother Eko Echo said at the beginning. i reminding you that Brother Yusuf has one of the most efficient our programs in the country. One of the most high-tech, as you can see. And this program costs a lot of money. Maintaining the websites, making the high-quality CDs that you see outside... So really don't forget the donations brothers because this is how this program, this is the fuel that this program runs on. And uh, if you were to choose between supporting the local Dao committee and I am the amir here or supporting brother Yusuf, I would say support brother Yusuf.
0: Allah khair, wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi Tomorrow's program